Well, thank you, worship team. Uh, I want to thank you for leading us into the presence of the Lord and to remind us of the love of God that he has for us. Today, I want us to dive into the scripture and also to think about and examine the condition of our own hearts. For some people, uh, this is the most wonderful time of the year. It's Christmas. But for others, it's the most difficult time of the year. It can be. And it's a lot of reasons for that. I don't have to go into all of them, but there can be personal illness. There can be a death in the family. There can be grief and despair that people are going through or financial difficulty. But if you've not felt any heartache this uh, Christmas season, you are fortunate. You are blessed. But there are so many other people that are struggling during this time of year. I, I was reading a post from a fellow pastor who said in these, last, uh, in these last two months, he's done more funerals than in the last two years of his ministry. And he's done funerals that have had to do with people that have died from COVID-19 or even those that have overdosed on drugs. And the conclusion that he made was that people are struggling during this time of year and throughout this past year of pandemic in 2020. There's people that are really hurting and they need people that would come alongside them and understand what they're going through. And they need avenues where they could reach out and find help in their struggles and what they're going through. Uh, so what do you do when your heart is aching at Christmas? Or what do you do when you're struggling deep inside in your faith and uh, the things that are going inside your heart uh, aren't just always happy? What do you do with the feelings of hurt or even betrayal or struggle? You know, I think we need to remember what people throughout history have done when they've gone through struggles or maybe we need to remember the things that, how God has brought us through different uh, times in our life when we've really been at, at a really difficult time in our life. And so I believe that God wants to remind us of things like this. And Christmas is a time to also look back into the biblical story and find out what we can learn from the people that God used during that time. But I want to tell you a story about, uh, about World War II. John Maxwell mentions this. He's a leadership expert. And he recalls when Britain was in the midst of World War II, coal miners were walking off the job. Uh, they were looking at all of what was happening in, in the war and the threat that was happening to their country. And they thought the, most, the best thing to do is leave this thankless, dirty job that I'm doing here and join the armed forces. And so what was happening was there was a real, uh, a real difficulty of what was going on because without coal, the war effort would be hampered and uh, England would be in a very difficult place. And so Churchill addressed thousands of miners one day, and this is what he told them. He said, you know, uh, you guys are so important to the war effort. You're significant. We need you. And I want you to understand 
that when this war is ended, there will be a parade. And the first people in the parade will be those who joined our Royal Navy, and everybody will be cheering for them. Next will come the best and brightest of those who were our pilots in the Royal Air Force. And then after that will come the soldiers that marched during Dunkirk and won the victory. And then there'll be thousands of miners. And people from the crowd might say, what did they do during the war? And a thousand voices will say, we were in the belly of the earth with our faces in the coal. And we worked. And it says that when, when Churchill finished that speech, there was complete silence. And on those dirty faces of the miners were tears that were streaming down their faces because they finally understood their integral part in the war. You know, people are living today without much significance, without understanding the plan that God has for them and how they fit into God's plan. And I think Christmas is the time when we can remember how God puts people in places and uses people at specific times and specific instances for his perfect plan that he's carrying out. So I want us to think about that today. I want us to remember uh, what God can do in a person's life. I remember uh, one of the first Christmases that I was celebrating with my brother Mike. He had led me to Christ when I was 18 years old. And the gift that he had given me was a Bible. And I remember that we were sitting there and he handed me the Bible and it was late at night and we were talking and we said, wouldn't it be wonderful if our whole family came to know Jesus Christ like we do? And uh, I remember specifically praying for my father, who was an alcoholic. And we prayed for him that night. And then we didn't see any change in the next day. And we didn't see much change for the next 27 years. We waited for God to answer that prayer. And finally he did. My father was delivered from alcoholism and came to know Jesus Christ in a powerful way. You see, during that time, there was silence. During that time of waiting, uh, we didn't know what was happening. But God was working out his plan. He was working on my dad. You may be praying for somebody. You may be wondering, what is God up to? And you may not be hearing from God. There may be silence. Do you know, during the time when Jesus Christ came, there was 400 years of silence. Bible scholars call it the intertestimonial period, the time between when the Old Testament, the last prophet, wrote his words down, and then the New Testament uh, begins with the book of Matthew. There's 400 years of silence. And it seems like there's suffering, and there is uh, occupation of uh, the people of God, of, of Israel, by ruthless dictators and rulers. And in, in that silence, in that most difficult time after 400 years, God begins to work. And how does he do it? How does God begin to work right then? The Bible says this in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. 
It says, but when the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so what was God up to? What was he doing? When the fullness of time had come, and the, the Greek meaning of that means when it was just the right time, when it was the time that God had ordained for these things to happen. It wasn't too late. It wasn't too early. It was the perfect time. And you know the story. The angel comes to Mary, who was a woman who's engaged to be married to uh, Joseph. And God begins to speak to her and say, you are highly favored. He sends an angel and says, you are highly favored of the Lord. And you are going to uh, conceive a child through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will, will, you will bear a child and you will give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sin. He told her, now don't be afraid, God is at work here. And so you know the story, she's engaged to be married to Joseph, who's a carpenter and I would call him a fix-it man, because really back then, in those days, there wasn't too much wood around Nazareth. It was mostly stone buildings. And so uh, Joseph probably had, was, had a builder. He was a builder. He had a construction business. And so here he is. He's a faithful man, a faithful follower of God, engaged to be married, but his fiance is pregnant, and it's not by him. And so all of that heartache feeling betrayed, wondering what he should do. Should he just quietly divorce her um, and, and leave her alone? And, 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 and it's very complicated. Mary goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant. Three months earlier, she has a miracle pregnancy. All of her life, she's wanted to be pregnant, and she can't conceive a child. And then all of a sudden, God meets Zechariah through an angel in the temple and tells him, this child is going to be born. He's going to be John the Baptist. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And so all these things are happening. Zechariah doesn't even believe it. He can't believe that God is going to answer his prayer because he's prayed about it for so long and nothing has ever happened. Have you ever felt like that? Zechariah did. In fact, the angel said, don't you believe me? I stand in the presence of God, and until that child is born, you're not going to be able to say anything. And he's struck dumb. He can't speak anymore until that child is born, and he able, he's able to speak up and say, his name is John, and he gives him the name John the Baptist. All these things are happening in the Christmas story. God is using people God is calling people, inviting people in the midst of their heartache, in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their fear. He's calling them into a relationship with him, and he's saying, join me, I'm doing something. You know, God is doing the same thing Christmas 2020. God is inviting and calling us, whether we're full of heartache or whether we are at peace and at joy, but he's calling us to look around us and say, who needs my help? Who can I minister to? Who can I share the love of Christ or give encouragement to? Because the Bible is, speaks about that so often throughout the scripture. 
But it doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. You know, Mary and Joseph, you know what they have to do. They've got to travel like 80 miles when she's nine months pregnant. And then they go and they try to find a place for this child to be born. And there's nowhere, nobody has a guest room. The, the, the word is there's no room in the inn. It actually means there's no room in the guest room. And often people and families would have these houses. And then on top of their roof, they'd have a small room there when guests would come. And they would put them up in that guest room. But the guest room was all full. And nobody had any room. And so this person says, well, there's this place that we keep our family animals. You could have, you could spend the night there. And that's where Jesus is born. Now think about this. Here's Mary and Joseph called by God to be the parents of the Son of God. And they must be saying, what is going on? What is wrong with this picture? And what? should we do? And here they are in this darkened basement or cave that they have, and there's animals there, and it probably smells, and it's not the cleanest place to be, and there Jesus is born. They must have been questioning and wondering, what, what are you up to, God? Have you ever felt that way? But then these shepherds come, and the shepherds come, and what happens next? When the shepherds come, they tell the story that angels have appeared to them, and they said, the Son of God has been born. He'll be a light to everybody. He'll bring goodwill and peace to all men. And so they share that with, with Mary and Joseph. You see, what's happening to Mary and Joseph, they have these peaks of revelation where God is really speaking to them, and then they go through some difficulty difficult times of probably unexpected um, interruptions in what they think is God's plan. And so they're struggling there, and then God comes and speaks to them. God uses a lot of different people. The other two people I want us to look at are two people, two older people that lived in Jerusalem at the time. So Jesus Christ is... Uh, God's son, he's born under the law and uh, to redeem those that were under the law. And so what happens is that after, 40 day, after eight days, you're circumcised as a young Hebrew boy child. And then 40 days later, you are dedicated at the temple. So they go back to Jerusalem, to the main temple in Jerusalem. And they enter there and there is a man and a woman there. First, the man's name is Simeon. And let me read from you from Luke chapter 2. It says this, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Let's get a little picture here of Simeon. He's a man that has the Holy Spirit upon him, that listens to the Holy Spirit, that is moved by the Holy Spirit. And isn't that kind of similar to what our theme of 2020 is, living life in the Holy Spirit? 
It's the same Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us was living and working in Simeon's life in the first century. And Simeon is guided and directed by the Lord to go into that temple at the specific time and specific day that Mary and Joseph are there with Jesus to dedicate him. And he looks at these two, uh, this couple with this little infant, and he can tell that they're poor, they're not uh, sophisticated, they're not of royal lineage, except they're related to the tribe of Judah. And so uh, Simeon looks at them, but he sees something different than anybody else sees in that temple. And there could have been hundreds and even thousands of people in that temple. But Simeon sees something different. It says that when, uh, in, in Luke chapter 2, it says, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon sees this couple offering two pigeons, because that's all they can afford, to the dedication of their child. And then he has this revelation. And he takes the child from them, and then he begins to pray and prophesy over this child. That this child is not just a little baby, 40 days old. But this child is the Son of God. This child is the Messiah. This child is going to be a light for the entire world, all the Gentiles, and then the people of Israel as well. It's amazing that God could place that in somebody and then for them to be able to speak it out so accurately and clearly. What can we learn from Simeon? Here's this man who is just following God daily and faithfully. He's under oppression of Roman rule. He's under a difficult circumstance. I'm sure he was. But he didn't allow that to keep him from doing God's will or understanding what God wanted him to do. He was sensitive to the things of God. See, God was working. If you think about it, God was working out his plans with Mary and Joseph. God was always working out his plans even for Zechariah and Elizabeth. God was working out his plan even in the lives of the shepherds. And God was working in the life of Simeon. And God is working in your life today. Whether you can feel him at work or whether you feel just the heartache that you're going through right now. He's in control. He knows what you're going through. And he has a purpose and a plan even in the difficulty that you're going through. The Bible says that Simeon exclaimed that he could now die in peace. You know what is the, the most wonderful thing about believers that believe in Jesus Christ? They have a peace even in death. They have a peace even about what comes after death, eternal life. Because they know 
that God loves them and he'll take care of them. Look at what Daryl Bach says in the New Testament commentary. It says, Simeon can be content even as he faces death, knowing that he's been carrying out the Lord's call. The goal of his life is to know God, with whom he will have a relationship forever. Contentment means knowing the source of life who can help us see even beyond our death. Simeon was able to know Jesus Christ, to know the Lord, the source of life, and know that he would see him even beyond death. Jesus would probably most likely outlive Simeon's life. But Simeon understood the purpose and the plan of God was secure now. Simeon sees beyond the age of the baby. He sees beyond the look of the parents, common, ordinary parents. And he sees the Messiah. He sees the Savior of the world. Don't we need to have eyes like that that see beyond our present circumstances? Don't we need to have the eyes that are open to what God wants to do in our lives? And look at what it says in, in Luke chapter uh, to how they responded. The child's father and mother marveled at what he said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You see, what God was telling Mary through Simeon was this is not going to be an easy life for your child. Your child will be rejected by many. He will reveal what's in the heart of people. You know what's in the heart of all of us? There are heartaches. There are wounds. There are disappointments. And Jesus has a way of revealing them, but not only just revealing them and saying, aha, see what's going on? No, he has a way of healing them. He wants to heal those wounds. And when we look at Mary and what God had spoken to her, he is saying to her, you're going to go some, through something that is probably one of the greatest emotional pains anybody can go, to, go through is to watch one of their children die. But I am going to help you. I am going to be there with you. You'll have to suffer through this, but I am going to be with you. And it says here, if you think about it, think about Mary's life, what had happened to her. It says that in the scripture, after she was standing at the cross, she saw Jesus crucified. She was right there at the foot of the cross. She saw the spear go through his side. And when that did, it went through her soul as well. She was heartbroken. But you see her again, 50 days later, at the Feast of Pentecost. She's in an upper room with 120 other believers. And they've been praying for 10 days. They've been sitting in the presence of God, praying. And then the Holy Spirit comes in power and might because Jesus has been resurrected. And what he's promised would come has come, the Holy Spirit. 
and she is filled with the Holy Spirit. She is set on fire for God again through the power of the Holy Spirit. She never allows her grief, her disappointment, to hold her back from the future. It's an amazing story of how God can heal us. Proverbs 14 says, each heart knows its own bitterness. Do you know that? That every heart has gone through bitterness, disappointment, envy, greed, whatever we are struggling with in our lives right now. Every heart experiences something like that. Then it says here in Proverbs 15, a glad heart, ma glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. Do you know the condition of your heart will affect your entire life? It'll affect the perspective that you have about the future. It'll, it'll, it'll affect how you relate to other people. If you have hatred or unforgiveness or envy towards other people, it'll affect the relationships all around you. And when we look at Mary, she is a woman that uh, has overcome so much because she has God as the Lord of her life. But that's not all that happens in that temple there. There's something else. There's a woman who comes up, somebody that understands grief and pain as well. There's also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel in the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, think about this. Here's this woman who probably gets married at 16 or 18 years of age. And then she becomes a widow by the time she's 25. And for those next you know, 60 years almost, she is there, a widow serving in the temple. She's obviously somebody who knows what grief is, and yet she's overcome the grief that she's experienced. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And then she sees this couple that Simeon has just blessed. And then what does she do? She says, coming up to them at that moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. See, God uses this widow who's experienced heartbreak, who's experienced disappointment, who's lived through grief to bless Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. God uses all sorts of people, shepherds, young people, old people. They're all part of his plan. And he invites us as well into his purpose and plans. You know, I don't know what you're experiencing about Christmas and this season right now or, or, or how you're feeling today. But I can tell you that God wants to bring healing into your life. He wants to bring purpose and direction into your life. You know, this past week we had our Alpha course and we were on the fifth week. And the fifth week is about why and how to pray. Why and how to pray. And it's a great lesson on just talking with God. God calls us to have this relationship with him. And one of the tools he uses is prayer, that we can talk to him. And that he can speak into our lives as well. It's a two-way communication. 
And there was this Benedictine monk who they interviewed who was a person of prayer. And he gave three points that I just cannot forget about this week. He said, when you want to know how to pray, he said this, keep it simple, keep it honest, and keep it going. Keep it simple, meaning you don't have to use a lot of words. You don't have to uh, use, you know, I don't know the Bible enough to pray. No, 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 no. You use your words, your simple words, your simple sentences to talk to God because he wants to listen to you. Keep it simple. Then keep it honest. What you're going through, what heartache are you going through right now in your life? Keep it honest with God. God, I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. Whatever you're going through, allow God in to that moment in your life. Be honest with him. You don't have to put on a facade with God. He sees right through all of that, right to your heart. So just be honest with him. And then keep it going. Keep the conversation going with God. He wants to have this relationship with us. So he wants us to keep on going with him and learning his will and purposes for our life. Psalm 147 verse 3 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up our wounds. Every one of us has wounds or scars in our life. And God wants to heal them. He wants us to invite him into those hurts and pains that we have so that he can bring about his healing, revival, renewal. So he can work even in our fears, in our greatest fears. He wants us to talk to him about them. and See what he has to say about them. When we open up the scripture and when he speaks to us, it's, it can be so powerful. It can be the very words that we need to hear like Mary and Joseph needed to hear from Anna and Simeon. You know, I want to invite you into this time of prayer right now. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul was talking to this group of Christians. And they were struggling in their walk of faith. And he was calling them back into a closer relationship with the living God. And this is what he says. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Yeah, he says, there's this marvelous gift of kindness. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore the gift that God has given us in giving us his Son and the Holy Spirit. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now, the time that is right, the fullness of time for you and for I is right now in God's presence. Today is the day of salvation. So what do you do when your heart is aching at Christmas? You reconnect with God. That's the only way that we can deal with our heartache. And we keep it simple we keep it honest, and we keep going to God because he is the one that has the answer. Today, I want to encourage you to bring your heartache to the Lord. I want to encourage you to open up your heart to him. And I want you to pray with me right now. I want you to 
uh, to just put away anything that's distracting you and just focus in on this prayer. And especially as we prepare for communion, after our song of response, we're going to have a time of communion. But let's, let this prayer be uh, the, uh, the thing that prepares us for that. Lord Jesus, I believe you came to die for me. I need you to forgive my sins. I need you to heal my hurts. I trust you to bind up my broken heart, even during this Christmas season. Help me to see you at work in my life. Reveal your will for my life. I trust you for the forgiveness of all of my sin. And I receive the eternal life that you have promised me. Lord, use me to help others, to love others, to be used in your kingdom. Lord, I love you. I thank you for being with me. And I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.